This is Guideposts with Dr. Tim Stoffer, a podcast where Tim and his friends engage in purposeful conversation about identity, parenting, culture, faith, and more. Tim Stoffer is a professor of counseling and a licensed clinical counselor. My name is Sam Mayung, and I'm Tim's friend. My life has been greatly enriched by my time talking to Tim and getting his thoughts on many matters that impact my life daily. After listening to this podcast, I hope you'll feel the same. Guideposts are discernment markers. They provide opportunities for direction as well as warnings of pitfalls. Go this way and be careful of that way. We hope that each episode provides some sense of direction as we navigate the challenges of daily life. Thanks so much for listening. Quick disclaimer, the content of this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your licensed mental health provider. Hey, good morning, Sam. Looking forward to our conversation this morning. How are you doing? Good, good. Likewise, I'm excited. Um, Tim, today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about stigmas with mental health. And so um, and so essentially this conversation is kind of prompted by the idea that you will find a lot of people when they think of counseling, um, uh, in almost a not very positive light. Sure. Um, that counseling is like really reserved just for like the really messed up people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I was just curious, um, what are some of the common stigmas you hear in regards to that? Like what, what are some of the common refrains you hear? And I don't know, maybe talk a little bit about like why some of that is and why certain people are much more hesitant to thinking about emotional health and pursuing counseling um, and the judgment that I think can get placed upon other people that do see a counselor or do go to counseling. Right. Right. That's a great, it's a great question. And like most great questions, there's probably like a truth within tension or there's a, a mix of strength. It's like not every aspect of that is problematic. There may be some, um, there may be some elements that we need to affirm while also, um, what needs to be corrected. So, so I don't know completely why the stigma, um, exists. It certainly, uh, certainly, I think it's reducing there. There seems to be a a more of an openness uh, to to mental health care. There certainly is much more of an emphasis in our broader um, culture that that's a that that's a necessary thing to be considered and to be treated. But there is still a big gap between saying I need um, sure. help mental health care. Or I need to um, take care of my emotional health or my wellness. Um, and so that's like other people, it's great for other people. I'm just (laughs) not certain. I'm just not certain. It's something that, that I want to sign up for. And, and I feel it even as a, as a practitioner, as a, a mental health professional, the idea of calling and scheduling and going to see a counselor personally, there's still an element of how about I not? 
Like, <laughs> like, like who wants to go, who wants to go to the doctor? Right. Who wants to go to the dentist? It's like, if I say, Hey, I went to the dentist today. You'd be great. Everybody should go to the dentist, but it's not like it's going to be like, yes, good for like, there's yeah, an element yeah. of, ah, who want, and if I said, you know what I had, I had a whole bunch of cavities and the, the immediate question will be like, are you not taking care of your oral health? Like, like you have sure. responsibility here. Are you shirking your responsibility? Uh, and so in the mental health space, there's those kinds, I think those kinds of questions about, is this a personal reflection on my, on me as like, am I, am I weak? Am I, uh, am I psychologically weak? And what's scary, I think for people is what if the answer to that's yes. Right. What does that mean? That I, like that, that can feel like a, almost like a terminal problem, almost like, well, if I find out that I'm psychologically weak, or that I'm, that I am somehow emotionally broken or that I'm sure. somehow it's, those are strong pictures in people's minds. Like, how about I not go find that out? Like, I don't, I don't want to know. And so, um, many people just choose not to and say, um, no, I don't, I'm not going to go pursue help. Uh, and so, so pursuing counseling can be really hard for people. There's a, there's some gender differences. Um, like I don't think the stigma is more women are willing to seek out, um, counseling than men, but that's also true in the medical field. So it's not, it's not just in the mental health field. Men, sure. men tend to, um, have, it's like, I'm not dying and I'm, I'm certainly not bleeding. So I'm not going to the doctor. And it's like, if I'm, if I'm dying, then, then I'll go. Uh, and, I would suspect that that most um, most people will resonate with the the gender difference as it relates to the willingness to seek out help, uh, and most mm. people probably can affirm that as that's by and large true. There are certainly women who who are very resistant to getting help. Uh, there are certainly very many men who are very open to going to getting help. Sure. So there's a lot of overlap in that space so it's like there is there is a lot of variability in many regards men and women on most measures are more alike than they are different Um, but there is but there are clearly um, differences um, in that regard and the question becomes is that biology is that is that cultural um, socialization yeah i don't i don't know what are how much of each both are involved i don't know how much weight to give either of those two and it might be different for different people. Yeah. Well, well, what do you like specifically for men being so resistant to like help seeking behavior, like seeing a counselor or a doctor or something like that? What are some of your like initial, like, I think these are probably some of the bigger like factors as to why that's generally the case. That's a, that's a great question. I'm going to, in good counselor fashion, throw that question back at you. Okay. Like I'm, I'm curious, like what, what what are your initial thoughts like what yeah what would be some of your theories of that that problem or like even personally like what what would lead you to be more resistant towards asking for help and maybe not even thinking just in terms of mental health sure but just like like is there a hesitancy or a sense of like yeah. what drives this sense that we should be able to do it on our own yeah yeah that's a that's a yeah i will you know we were talking a little before but 
he was like, like much of our culture values, particularly in men, that they would be strong, they would be tough, they would be self-sufficient. And as particularly in America, the less you can rely on anybody else, the more successful American you are, you know? And, mm. um, and so I think that narrative, particularly for men, runs pretty deep. It's in all of our movies. It's in, it's in our music. It's in, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's uh, in so many of those places. Sure. And so yeah, it's like men rescued the damsel in distress. It, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, and so I think that's probably a, a did, big. Did you catch in the spider the new Spider Man movie that theme where? Where it was the, I forget the, it was the amazing Spider-Man, uh-huh. the middle, the yeah, middle yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. The Andrew Garfield one. Yeah. yeah he yeah. never, in his movie, he never rescued the girl. Well, that's, yeah. Cause it's so, so tragic because she, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen him, but like, like she dies, right? Like he right. doesn't save her. Right. And, and so guess what he gets to do? He gets to save the girl. And it's like, that's a that is such a deep storyline yeah. across history and yeah. across culture. Well, because I found myself like very moved by it. Well, like the I, whole theater when yeah, I was there, yeah. it's like the whole theater is like cheering for yeah, yeah. this. Yeah, we want him to be able to save the girl. Yeah, and yeah, it's a powerful this, scene. And so we're talking about a deep, a hmm. deep story hmm. rooted in our in our cultural. I mean, to use like like. Um, like deep psychological terms. We're talking about like collective unconscious kind of stuff. We're talking Uh about archetypes. We're talking about these deep stories that, that kind of that people resonate with. And you look at the popular movies and popular stories that have an enduring across time. That theme is not absent. Yeah, sure. And so, so I think there's an element where that theme probably expresses itself and bubbles up to this element of, of not seeking help. It it seems to me to be a pretty logical stream or connection that if you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. strong and if you're going to be rewarded for being strong, and if you're going to be, you're going to be given the accolades of the superhero, you better not have weaknesses and have, um, need help because if you need help, that means you can't save. Hmm. And, and so I think that's pretty deeply rooted. Yeah. And, and I think that's where like there are elements of strength from that as well as liabilities and, sure. and weaknesses. It's like, sure. we do, we do want people to have strength. We right. do want people to be tough minded and have grit. Perseverance and, and grit. Right. And, and, yeah. and so, but be able to endure when life gets very challenging like that's a very good thing right but it has to be there's there's always a shadow side then totally it's like and so what we see with men is that rather than asking for help men tend to act out their dysfunction through drugs alcohol pornography list the list the vice yeah. And men seek help from those things. Hmm. And so men have a lot of help seeking behaviors. They're just toxic or they're broken. Hmm. And so if you look at all the ways in which men self soothe, you will find that men really do seek out help. They just do it in places that are not particularly good or helpful or healthy. And so, so addictions, um, 
overeating, um, obsessiveness about whatever the latest obsession is. It's like whatever can distract me from my pain, I will go and do. And so there is a, there is a downside to that process that has to be, that has to be considered. Uh, and men will often just not get help until it's like almost too late. Sure. And I work, I happen to work in a clinical field where that's very common. It's like, it's not uncommon for my phone to ring and be like, I'm in absolute crisis. My marriage is falling apart. I've just, um, I've just been, I've just been caught by my spouse, um, in a raging sex addiction and I need help because I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my family I'm, everything is coming apart. So, okay, now I'll seek help. Sure. And it's like, well, now we're almost beyond the point. Like, like now this is emergency level kind of help that is very invasive. And is it's like, it's like even the helping is catastrophic. It's like the interventions are severe and to mm. get that kind of help is expensive and it's painful and it, and it's like, that help was needed 20 years ago and being able to express ourselves in some of our previous episodes where we've talked about emotional vulnerability and dealing with shame and, and uh, addressing the life stories of our lives that are, that can become disordered yeah. and difficult. Well, those would, we would have benefited a long time ago had we got help back in those areas, but, <laughs> right. we, but many men just wait until, yeah till that crisis point. No, that's good. And I just even hear you say that it reminds me of like, Oh yeah, this is like the whole reason why we're trying to do this podcast is to provide resources for people and particularly men while before it reaches this disaster crisis mode so that we could be healthy men and healthy humans and, and un so what would, what would be your answer to like, yeah, like, why like wh how would you put this in a positive rather than a negative in the sense that like this is why it is good for us to be actively pursuing like you know healthy mental health if that's good mental health like counseling if necessary like what I, how would you put that as like hey yeah here's my my elevator pitch my one minute elevator pitch why you shouldn't have necessarily a negative like stigma to this but like why this is actually a great benefit and value well i think there's i think it's because the evidence is pretty clear that talking helps so so being able to talk something out is is a very beneficial kind of process and and so talking about things in the in the, in the right way can be very healing talking about things in the wrong way can actually be damaging so hmm. so it's like we can talk ourselves um, into problems and into more chaos, we can talk ourselves out of that. And, and oftentimes that's where relationship becomes so valuable. It's like, if we want to like, there's this element of like, like, and I'm probably, I'm probably not in the, um, in the majority within my career field. Like, I don't think everybody needs to be going to see counselors. Sure. Like, like there is a level around which, um, like people, yes. Would people benefit? Of course. But, but you can think in terms of pastoral care, solid friendships of accountability and connection and where there's 
genuine yeah. authenticity within the relationship coaches um like like what i would what i would call the re- like the coaching movement um that doesn't focus on just on 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 healing um trauma or healing painful space but kind of of here are steps we can take towards thriving and towards growth all of those kinds of processes can are really useful when they're in their proper place I think where I'm most concerned is when people really need mental health care and they refuse to get it. But not everybody needs to be going out and calling their count, calling a counselor uh, yeah. for help. Would they benefit? Well, if the if it's the right kind of conversation, yes. It's like we we benefit tremendously from an ongoing dialogue dialogue between people, and so it's often difficult for my clients to know when they're finished because they find the conversation helpful. Sure. And, and it's like, at what point do you say, oh, I don't need this anymore when what I'm doing is helpful? It's like, do I have to do it? No. Uh, I probably, I need to have resources in my life so that I can continue good conversation, but I don't have to be doing it with a therapist anymore. I don't have to be paying um, the high cost of sure. that kind of treatment because it's not necessary for everybody all the time. But it is beneficial and it, and people would many people find it um, helpful and they ought to consider it um, way before they often do. Hmm. And, and I think that's the tough balance to find of like when when is it time for me to to um, to pursue that kind of help? And I don't have a good answer to that. I don't I really <laughs> yeah, sure. I really don't. I really don't know. It's typically probably when we would say signs and symptoms are severe or getting severe. Um, marriage, marriage counseling is often is, is like very beneficial, even for healthy couples. It's like, there's an element of, of bringing a, a third party into the conversation and saying, here are the principles of how healthy marriages, like healthy marriages include these kinds of dynamics and bringing in a third party to converse with, uh, with you can be really, beneficial even for healthy couples um, but that, again it's not and it's not an absolute necessity you, that could happen in a small group within a church setting that could happen just even if a couple has open dialogue they can bring in that third party through a good book and say let's take these ideas that are written down and let's talk them out let's do a date night let's let's dig deep let's build vulnerability and connection let's take these principles and apply them to our marriage and healthy couples can continue to, um, grow, um, without seeing a professional. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I feel like at its core, it's just, there's, you know, it's, I feel like pride is so easy to identify in someone else, but so hard to see in yourself. Right. Like, it's like, Oh, I know you need help. Like, but no, I'm good, you know. But at the end of the day, it's this lack of humility that says, like, no, I have some deficits. I have areas in my life where I need assistance and I need someone else to give me new tools to be healthy with, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's, that's pride. That's, you know, the the lack of wanting to need anyone else or depend on anyone else. And Right. So, so maybe this would be a, a good tie back to our previous episode that we recorded, whether it gets released in this order or not is, yeah, another, yeah. is another question. But when we were talking about the theories of change, I think for many people, the resistance towards change 
is because we're not aware of the severity with which we need to. So, so it's that pre-contemplation space. It's like, I don't want to hear that there's things that I'm unaware of. It's like, that doesn't there, there's a, that's kind of insulting. Like, like uh, there's an, there's an element of when I'm confronted with something, if I'm not predisposed towards saying, of course, there's things I don't know. And, and the things that I don't know, I want to get into the know. I have a, a desire to learn and grow. Then new information isn't insulting. Then it's not, but, but if we're not, if we're not kind of predisposed towards learning and growth, we're going to find new information about our need to change threatening and, and scary and we'll probably be resistant to it. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think too, like as children, if we, if we think back on our, on our store life stories, it's like, do we have models in our life of people who are willing to communicate about tough things and about ways they need to grow? And do we see mm-hmm. help seeking behaviors? Um, and, and probably not. That's probably an area where many people haven't seen their parents being willing to get help for their own individual issues. Um, they're the, so, so we get conditioned early on. There's also a developmental process that I think is actually good and right. And that's where, where we want to be able to do things on our own. And we want as much as it's frustrating for the parent, there's something beautiful about the child saying, no, I do. I, me, (laughs) me, I, I, it's like, it's like an astute parent knows that this child is developing autonomy and that sense in which I want to do it on my own Uh is a very, very good developmental process. It needs to be shepherded. Well, like it needs, like it needs to be affirmed and corrected of sort. It's like, it's like, there's a strength to saying, I want to do it. I want, I want my children to have a sense of if there's an obstacle in my way, daggone it, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to, I'm going to rally all of my resources that I have to get that, that solved. I'm not going to just quickly move into a place of somebody else solve the problem for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think many regards, we might tend to look at help seeking as a statement of, I'm just not competent on my own rather than seeing help seeking as an expression of our autonomy. It's like, I'm mm. going to come for help because I'm smart because I'm, I'm resourceful because I know I don't know. Yeah. And so I'm going to come get help because you know something I don't know. And I want to, I want to learn from you. Well, that's really resourceful and good. And that kind of help seeking is really powerful. But if it's a learned helplessness of like, I can't do anything, come rescue me. Sure. Well, that's that kind of help seeking is actually, not as like that's more enabling and it's not that some therapists wouldn't enable their clients and aren't teaching them to develop uh, a sense of personal strength of you can do this you have the resources you don't you don't have to you can't you can solve this outside of my office you can you can take steps on your own like you can do it yeah and and finding those balances and, is and really I, and I tough think that's what most people don't understand is that 
they do need help and they are often getting help. Like you were saying this particularly with men too, but like you are getting help. It's just where are you getting it from? Right. And, and a lot of people think, well, if you got to go to a counselor, it must be really bad, you know? Right. But it's like, no, I mean, everyone, obviously there are certain things that are deeper that need professional help. But at the end of the day, most people are all wrestling with the same things. Just how does it, you know, work itself out in your life? Um, but, and so I, I think, I think that's a helpful shift in like not, you know, thinking of it in such a negative way when you understand it's like, yeah, we all need help. It's like, and we're all getting help from somewhere or something. It's just a matter of who, is it a friend? Is it a pastor? Is it your, you know, is it, uh, you know, whatever. So I think that's a helpful. Right. Right. I think one of the other potential obstacles are where, and this is where terminology can get a little, um, defining terms can become difficult. It's like you hear, we have these tragedies and, um, crises within our nation. I think of like the school shootings or mass shootings as a particular example. It's like immediately after um, a, a mass shooting of some sort, you will hear all of this rhetoric around mental health care. Mm-hmm. And, and so, well, if that's mental health care, why should I seek it out? If I'm not if homicidal, not if I'm not suicidal, that, right, if I'm not, right. it's like, and so it's like the, the times that it, mental health yeah. comes into the public conversation is in a very exaggerated light, right? It's a, in a very, very severe, there's very yeah. severe cases. And it's like, like, like it's people, it's like, it's like personalities like the Joker. Hmm. It's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, the, it's like, this is where mental, this is what mental health care really takes care of is. We're going to deal with the really, really severe cases of mental illness. And what does that have to do with me? It's like, that's not, that's not the space in which I'm living. And so it doesn't even, I think for many people, there may be a sense in which that's what counselors do. And I don't need, like, that's not. And, yeah, and a you, lack of understanding that it's like actually doesn't have to be that. Intense. Right. Well, and like, that's where I think terminology <laughs> always get, like our words fail us in terms of the the depth and breadth of meaning. It's like like if mental health care um, means, you know what, I want to have a, a, a good, competent person that can ask me really good questions and challenge me. <laughs> yeah. And that's what therapy is. It's like many people would say, ah. I that's, that. that's what executive coaching is. That's okay. what coaches oh, okay, do. Okay. It's like, you're going to optimize me. You're going to help me grow. You're going to challenge me and you're going to press me. And you're going to, you're going to ask me really good questions that, that make me think. And that's going to sharpen me. It's iron sharpening iron. It's the, it's a, and it's a, Oh yeah. Sign me up for that. Well, that's kind of what many counselors provide for people, but there's also a spectrum. It's like, uh-huh. it's like you have, you have that space that is a form of mental health care. Uh, but um, I sometimes think about it. That's where the coaching, um, much of the pastoral work happens in that space. Mental health care is almost referred to in our culture and in, in our media kind of spaces. Mental health care is about the severity of anxiety, depression, suicidality, homicidal spaces, schizophrenia, bipolar, like what I would call the very severe cases of mental illness. 
and yet we talk about it all as mental health care uh-huh. and and so it's confusing for people and totally. it's almost confusing for me as a practitioner and and I'm I live in that space like it's like that's my that's yeah. my native territory and and I have to be carefully thinking through all of those processes for most people who aren't thinking about it at all or very little they hear mental health care mental health counselor well that's not I'm not in that space and so I think that's part of that might be part of why there's a yeah that hesitancy to seek out help yeah yeah no that's good um and you know similarly to this you know and in particular you know you're talking anxiety and depression and like those things statistically are soaring up you know especially in like younger generation uh of of people um there's an, also an increasing usage of medication for for these things and i feel like there's also a stigma towards that you know if someone mm-hmm. needs medication for anxiety there's a stigma related to that as well do you feel like that's we're just looking at this is the same same situation or are there different pieces towards like those stigmas as well right there there that's a complicated uh that's a great question complicated one and maybe um, we could reserve that for another conversation. Well, no, I, I mean, talking about medication. Well, let me talk about it to, to some, to some degree. It's like the, the question in my mind is like, is there, do we have a problem of over medication? Probably. Sure. Uh, would more people benefit from considering medications? Probably. Probably. So it's like, okay, what's the deal with that? Like, how, yeah. okay, so now there's this contradiction like internal, like I feel the contra- the contradiction immediately. It's like, yeah. like I have, I have seen people's lives tremendously, tremendously improved by starting medication. It's like there, there is a, there is a clear, there's a, has been a clear benefit for many, many people. It, it helps open up space. It helps deal with some of the, um, some of the um, biochemical processes that that really it's it's useful and beneficial and really needs to be considered as a, a legitimate um, treatment that can be really useful. There are some people who try it and it's like the the side effects that it's like it's just not a good fit for them. It doesn't work the way they prefer and they need to work with their doctor in in saying okay what are other options. There are treatments that are that are helpful that are non-medicine kinds of treatments. Mm-hmm. And so many people will go for anxiety and they will take anxiety medication and never do the other treatments for anxiety. Mm-hmm. And they're just, in essence, forestalling the inevitable. As soon as they stop their medications, they're going to have a rebound effect from their medication and they're going to have to face their anxiety anyway. Uh, and so... So with anxiety, there's often a lot of there are a lot of good treatments for forms of anxiety and depression that don't require medication. And many people say, I want to try those first. And I would say, well, then try those first. Like that's not a bad. Yeah, um, that's not a bad space. But if you're doing if you're doing some really sound, useful interventions for anxiety and depression that um, that just aren't seeming to work or it's like the, the problems continue to persist. Well, medication is often the, the missing link. And so I often like to think in terms of, well, we don't have to not do, do both. Like, 
Like sure. take, take advantage of the resources that are, that are available. Many people have a strong, like, I don't want to put chemicals in my body. And, and I respect that. Like there's a, there's a, um, there's a deep, there, there's good reason to be very concerned about taking, taking chemicals and taking sure. drugs. It's like, be careful and think yeah. it through and look at the, um, look at as much information as you can. And, and if you're able to do it without medication, great, but it can be, there is, there is at times a stigma. And again, I think the stigma for medications is reducing as well. Like it, there's mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. there's a level where I think that's, um, that's not as, that's not as severe of a stigma as it used to be. Um, I hope there's an, there's an element where it's like, I, I hope that we get to the, don't get to the place where people just take medications because that's just what you do. It's like, well, right. Well, let's right. be judicious and thinking through like, is there a way to be healthy mentally without medications? Well, I hope so. And yeah. I would hope that we advocate for, um, health and wellness in a way that doesn't require medical intervention. Did you ever read brave new world? No. By, I think it's Aldous Huxley. No, tell me about it. it uh, it, like it, it's, it is an old book. Like it was written, I think in the forties. I could be very wrong on that date, but it's, it's an older book and, but it's a dystopian like future, but essentially like everyone just does drugs and sits in a chair and watches TV and just numbs out. Sure. And like, that's where everything like kind of the pinnacle of your life. And, and so, um, now obviously that's a, fictional book but like you can see how like the easy the easiest solution sometimes can be not necessarily the best solution sure but i think particular i'm kind of deviating a little what a li- little bit like but i think a lot of the stigmas towards medication is like well if i need medication then i must be really broke like sure. i must be really broken like something must be like really wrong with me mm-hmm. um and again and again it's just like i think like yeah there might be something wrong like but that doesn't mean like you are inherently like un like doesn't mean you're not valuable doesn't mean you're not like lovable all these other things we i think we start to attach this if this is true i can't handle that right it, does that does that make sense well, maybe you yeah, can help well what i think <laughs> say like, a little better what i'm trying to say well i think like what we have this picture that if I'm struggling or if I feel weak or broken or vulnerable, that that's a statement of value. Yeah. And it's not a statement of value. In fact, those things which are most valuable to us that are fragile or are weak or are, we take great care of those things and we protect them because they're valuable. We treat them with whatever they need to, to protect them. And and so I think I'm just thinking of like a, a piece of fine jewelry or a, or a, a dish or a, a vase or some sort of glass item that's really, really fragile. And it's and, or it's or a sculpture that like that's really old. And it's like it's it's wearing down. The stone's getting weak. It's mm-hmm. like we're going to we're going to protect that because it's valuable. Yeah. And it's that's not a shame. Protecting it's not a shameful thing. Yeah. It's like that's actually we should because it's, 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 it's valuable. And, but shame will often lead a person to say, if I'm feeling weak or broken or, or something's hurting, well, 
what what the hell's wrong with you and we'll beat ourselves up and we'll actually kind of throw it on the ground and stomp on it because it's hmm. and it's like well that's not that's not compassionate it's not it, it's it's not the way forward yeah and yeah and so and i think even for men men would really benefit from understanding this idea like like you know yes or like yes we can be physically strong right but like comparatively you know i think in like through a spiritual lens like comparatively to god like our strength is so small like mm-hmm. if we, if, even if we're just talking physical strength i'm like okay cool you can bench 200 pounds like you didn't make a mountain like mm-hmm. you didn't you didn't speak and breathe mm-hmm. life into the whole world like comparatively like we are very weak like we are mm-hmm. very small in in comparison and so i feel like that would actually be a really helpful thing to mm-hmm. reflect upon <laughs> in the you know the grand scheme of like of creation it's like we are very small we mm-hmm. are weak we do depend on other people and if we don't recognize that it's and we don't actually embrace that mm-hmm. like it becomes a really crippling thought right there's this there's this other additional dynamic i think is difficult for men is that that men are attractive to to other men and to women Men are attractive for their strength and their courage and their toughness. But what what people want relationally, and particularly what women want relationally then from those men is sensitivity, warmth, kindness. And, and so it's like the attraction to is different than what's desired from. Hmm. And so... That's fascinating. So, so it's like men get rewarded... Um, emotionally and relationally, sexually from strength and from, and so it's like, again, it's like, here's the, you look at the athletes, they get, they get the beautiful women, but what women would say that they want from a spouse or from a man is emotional connectiveness and Uh the sense of strength. It's like, well, it's like, well, those two things almost mitigate against one another. And so, um, so it's like the very thing that draws a person to a man might be, might stand in contradiction to what's desired from that man once the relationship is established. And that's a complicated problem. And, and men need to recognize that they can be both strong and tough and powerful and all like, like the Pew research um, council, like talked about like, what is society men and women? What do they say about masculinity and about what's desirable in that space? And it's like, all of those things are like desired at one level. And yet then they have this shadow side of weakness where it's like, it's what it's, it becomes a problem as well. And, Mm -hmm. and so men often feel this tug of war between what, what, well, which do you want from me? Do you want me to be strong and powerful and, and a strong like leadership and is a, is a, is a, mm. a, a big one. That's really, really makes that like men and women will talk about that's attract makes a man attractive. If he's a good leader, if he, it's like all of these strengths and, and these things that make men attractive are the very things that would, would potentially lead to say, well, then asking for help would not be those things. And so 
well, that's a big dilemma for men. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we have to come to terms with that. We can be both. We can, we can be strong and we can be tough and we can be tough minded and we can have grit and we can go the extra mile, but we also are vulnerable and we're also weak and we also are emotional and we also need things and we have to have community and we have to have a place to be able to be open with one another and to be vulnerable with our spouses and to be emotionally connected and to be able to cry and to be able to express joy and to be able to express the, all of the full range and color of emotion that's Mm -hmm. possible. We want to be able to connect all of those things relationally. And, and so as men, I think my challenge is, is let's be real men. Let's, let's, let's cover that, that whole process. And that means asking for help. That means being willing to, to be vulnerable where it's appropriate but there are times when uh, let's go where we have a we have a war to fight we have a battle to win and we that now is not the time to sit and just talk about how hard it is like it's like no you're gonna you yeah. you press you press through it when when the when the warriors are on the battle lines uh in ukraine now is not the time to have group dynamic parties mm-hmm. but we, like we're not going to just sit around and talk about how hard it is. We're going to be tough and we're going to make it happen. However, on the flip side of that, when it's time to come down from that, it's time to come down. It's time for us to have vulnerability. It's time for us to deal with our traumas. It's time for us to, to yeah. ask for help. Yeah. And that's a very, very complicated process, particularly for men. Um, women, women seem to be able to, navigate those spaces of incredible strength because women are also incredibly strong. Uh, and like if any, if any man has watched his wife have a baby mm-hmm. and, and go through the processes of childbirth, you know how tough women are. It's like women are incredibly tough and they can, they can press through incredible obstacles. Um, now what often happens is that women express emotion right with that process. So it's like, while they're expressing their strength, they're also crying. Hmm. While they are, while they're expressing their strength, they're expressing other emotions as well. And so, for many men, that's confusing because it's like if you're going to be strong, well, how can you be like, 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 yeah, like yeah. those two mitigating? Like for they, men, they almost feel very separated. Things yeah, it feels like men. that's it's like, like it's like I'll go cry when this is all done, right? In so, my room by myself, like, but. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. They're very well, uh, separate things. Well, and many men feel manipulated when their wife is crying. Huh. They, they, like they, they feel a sense in which you're using tears to try to, like, I'm supposed to now be sensitive and nice and not, <laughs> I got to be gentle with you because you're somehow really, really fragile right now because you're crying. And so I got to be, and so there's this social pressure that well, don't make the girl cry. Okay, yeah. And it's like, well, no, 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 time. No, she's not weak because she's crying. Hmm. She's actually incredibly strong and she's showing her emotion simultaneously to that. Men don't do that the same way. Now, again, I'm using broad categories yeah. and there will be women who don't and right, men who right, do. And right. it's like, and that's not a, that's not a statement of judgment around. It's like, there's a lot of variability across that, but, but in broad brush strokes, most people will resonate with that dynamic and most people that don't experience it personally will say i see the dynamic in the broader ways we understand yeah those realities and so it's a really complicated space for men yeah to to be able to ask for help and also be strong at the same time yeah okay i've got one i think we'll go one last question 
And uh, this is a, a more goofy question, but <clears throat> in, mo- in, in movies, okay, this idea of men being both strong and weak, what's the best, like, movie character of a man that embodies, like, both of these things? Obviously, it's a movie, and it's you know sure embellished or fake that's or whatever. a great question What's, what it would you think of like this character is a great character of a man who embodies both like strength but also vulnerability and weakness hmm. it's also i also understand if you can't think of something off the top of your head <laughs> hmm. fascinating question wonderful question um <laughs> maybe um and I don't know that I would say that there's there's probably a ton of examples but uh, but probably probably 3 come to mind. Okay. Right off the top and maybe it's because these are getting at maybe 4 because these are getting at some of what I would say my some of my favorite movies uh, is would be Aragon. In Lord, okay. of, in Lord of the Rings. That's a great one. Um, I would say potentially, I would also pipe in that category Frodo. Um, Frodo and Sam, like both of like, um, have that toughness and, and vulnerability in the yeah. same character. Um, oh, well, there was the other one. Oh, Russell Crowe's um, Gladiator, um, oh, Maximus. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Like he is a... Um, it, it, like like he rep he he expresses a great deal of vulnerability and longing and emotionally de- depth, as well as being, I'll go the distance with you and I'm yeah. I'll, I'll 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 fight to the end. Um, him Braveheart, Mel Gibson's um, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Wallace, um, William Wallace. Let me. Um, I think we see in some of the the war movies as well, like the Saving Private Private Ryan, um, and some of the some of the men who are willing to just go into the hornet's nest kind of space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but um, a lot of but these aren't left out with lots of. I think in many of these, all of these men cry. Like you know, they, there's they, yeah, there's there's a there's a clear <laughs> representation of. This is this is not just um, this is not just brute strength at work, and there is a vulnerability and a right. weakness and a tenderness that is there. I think um, um, Jean Valjean and Les, Les, Mis, Les, Les yeah. Mis, like like this this incredible strength of character to address change and to be humble and to but to also be strong. And I will I will. Um, I will bring correction to the, to my life and, and live like, um, and so I would say like in many of the really captivating stories, we'll see both, both that strength and weakness or that strength yeah. and, and need for support. Um, I think that the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings are this sense in which we need community and, the fellowship we need the yeah. we need this because on our own any one of us will be taken out easily um together we may we might 
be able to stand up against the dragon. And if we die, we die like, and, 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 but we're going to need each other in that, in that journey. It's so good. Cool. Those are great examples. But I think like for people who are, um, needing help, if you're listening to this and, and you feel like you're on the edge, reach out for help. Mm -hmm. You can start, you can start with your pastor. You can start with a good friend. You can, you can build the courage to change. Um, reach out, call, call a therapist, um, get some referrals, reach out and get, reach out and get help. If you're in an absolute crisis, you're suicidal, um, reach out for help immediately. Call, um, nine one one, call the suicide hotline. Um, but, but if you're in a, in a really deep, dark place, don't hesitate, reach Mm -hmm. out and get the, get the process started. We, we can't do it alone. That's great. All right. All right. Thanks, Sam. Great, thanks, com- great conversation. Appreciate you. And thank you all for listening. If you find this podcast helpful, um, please subscribe, share it with your friends. Um, feel free to drop us a note um, in our email as well. And ask us some questions. Yes. We want more ideas of what you want to hear us talk about. That would be fantastic. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Guideposts with Dr. Tim Stoffer. If you're finding this podcast beneficial, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. Also, make sure to check out the show notes where you can find links to resources as well as an email address. We want to hear from you. Send us your questions, feedback, and topic ideas for future episodes. Thanks for listening.